Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. If you would, turn in your Bibles. Psalm chapter 14, 14th Psalm in the Word of God. And I want to deliver a message today that will stir us, it will shake us. Hopefully, it will awake and awaken some of us. But I believe, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, it is a message that God wants us to hear. But the Puritan pastor, Stephen Charnock, in a book entitled The Existence and Attributes of God, that I have been trying to read. Um, why, why I say trying to read is, is because of the depths of his understanding are so far beyond mine that I have to read a sentence and I have to go back and just ponder that sentence for days. Um, but in this book, which is two volumes of seven or eight hundred <laughs> pages apiece, so I probably will spend the rest of my life um, gleaning from this treasure. But in this book, Stephen Charnock, he defines for us in three different discourses or, or theses that he offers in this book as it begins. And these theses are on the topic of atheism. And when we look at the topic of atheism, I, I want us to really break that down today before we get into our message. Our message today is going to actually cover just one type of atheism, which you'll see why I've chosen to cover this one type of atheism. But Charnock divides atheism into three distinct categories, if you would. Uh, he speaks of one that is obvious to all of us, right? The atheism proper, what we would know as the person who just denies the existence of God completely, both with their lips and with their life. They have no desire to even acknowledge God. They refuse the obvious. And, and for so many of us, that's just the definition of atheism, and we're good with that, and then we don't go any further than that. However, Charnock, in the insight that the Lord has given him in, in through his word, he speaks of two other types. One is practical atheism, and he calls this practical atheism that because it is what man practices. Meaning this, there are those who would never openly deny the existence of God. Uh, they've been brought up not to do that, right? Just by culture, you, you were raised in the Bible Belt. To do that is just an audacity. However, they do deny Him by how they live. Uh, that's that practical type of atheism where you say that you know God, you say that you believe in God, but you deny that you really believe in God by how you live. And we are familiar with that type of atheism to some degree. Then he goes on and he talks about the third type of atheism, which should strike all of us and shake us to the core today. Because he speaks of what he calls partial or secret atheism. And this person doesn't openly deny God. What he simply does is he debases the majesty and the nature of God in his heart and he doesn't honor him as God. He, in all essence, makes God into who he wants God to be or even sometimes in our time, she. Makes God into whoever he or she wants him or her to be. And this is that partial atheism that I'm afraid, if we were to be honest, has inundated our culture. But right now in the world that we live in is inundating the church. 
I want us to pay close attention to this in light of one half of one verse in Scripture today. In just a little while, we will get back to what I love to do most, and that is to preach through the book of the Bible verse by verse and to see the lessons that it contains. But before we do, I have an urgent message today that God has placed on my heart. One verse, one half of one verse, out of one fourteenth psalm. The reason that I want us to look at this today, because this partial atheism is exactly what the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, that the world was going to see. That there would be those who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And in fact, the partial atheists reinvent God to suit their own fancy, as Charnock put it. And so as we look at this, I want us to examine our lives today. That we may, number one, see if we have fallen to the plague of partial atheism and today repent and turn to Christ and believe. But also to safeguard us from the attack of partial atheism, which the end result is always apostasy from the faith. And so as we look at this today, let's turn to the 14th Psalm and let's look at verse 1. I will try to move as quickly as possible. Uh, those of you who arrived here on time know that in the 9 o'clock, possible was not very quickly. <laughs> we have a lot to cover, and I want to cover it all because I don't want to leave any loose ends in what I'm about to tell you today from the Word of God. Verse 1 of Psalm 14 says, The fool says in his heart. He doesn't say it with his mouth because no one in this room would with their mouth today openly probably profess that they don't believe in God. He says that the fool says in his heart, his deepest inmost being, that only he really knows the truth about him, that only God really knows the truth about. He says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now when we look at this, I want to break this down for you so that you can understand it. The Hebrew word there for fool is Nabal. Some would pronounce it. Nabal. But you would be familiar with Nabal from the Old Testament. This word means fool in the Hebrew, but it also has the meaning of morally deficient, perverse, vile, and contemptible. And so when we look at this, when we talk about the fool here, we are talking about a morally deficient, perverse, vile, contemptible person. What I want you to understand today is that the partial atheist is no less a fool than the one that I spoke of first who completely denies the existence of God. Both confirm to be fools by what they think in their heart. Both the proper atheist, the practical atheist, and the one that we will be discussing today, that partial or secret atheist. And I want to cover the secret and the partial atheist today because I believe that is the most prevalent. In fact, I believe this. I believe that many sitting in this room today will find that you are partial atheists. Oh, you may believe in the existence of God, but do you in your heart believe God? Do you trust Him by faith, knowing that everything that He says and everything that He does is right and true? Charnock said this about secret atheism, or what we're defining as partial atheism. He says, it's the spring of all wicked practices in the world. The disorders of life spring from the ill dispositions of the heart. Remember, the, the fool, the Nabal, has said in his heart that there is no God. Now, of course, when the preacher stands in the pulpit and says, I have fear that many of you in this congregation are partial atheists, the next thing I hope that you want to know what is this? What does partial atheism look like? Before you answer the question, am I a partial atheist, why don't you wait till the end of the message? Why don't we wait and to see what the Scriptures actually say in regard to these things? So I want to bring you three things today, as quickly as I can. A person proves that they are a partial atheist by, write this down, the first one, Refusing to embrace the God of Scripture. Now, they're not like that atheist proper who just 
denies the very existence of God, what they do is they refuse to embrace the God of Scripture. And what they do is they have created in their mind a lesser little g God of their own human imaginations, showing the foolishness of their sinful and idolatrous hearts. It's John Calvin who said that man is a perpetual idol factory. I bring this message today because I am afraid that there are many who they refuse to embrace the God of Scripture and have created for themselves an idol that they call God, who is not the God of the Bible. Pay close attention to that. Because how crafty the enemy would be if he could pull the bait and switch to, to convince all of you that the God of your mind is the one true God when he's not the biblical God at all. How do we know who the one true God is? We go back to God's holy writ. We go back to the Scripture. We see who he really is. These partial atheists refuse the God of Scripture, and they do this in three ways. The first way is this, by denying God's biblical authority. Isn't it the theme today? Everyone wants a Savior, but no one wants a Lord. Everyone wants heaven, but no one wants to hear a call for obedience and servitude to Christ. No one wants to hear the call to deny yourself and to take up your cross, as Jesus said we are to do. And so what the partial atheist does, they just simply deny God's biblical authority. They are the ones who want the Savior, but don't want the Lord. Now, this way of thinking has infiltrated Christianity. There are people who will teach from the pulpit today that he can be Savior and not be Lord, and you can still go to heaven. Can I tell you this? Jesus is never divided. In fact, Jesus himself said a house divided will never stand. He would never divide himself from being Savior and Lord all at the same time because he is both all at the same time. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus, they're warning, warning even the partial atheist who thinks that I make a claim with my mouth, I would not deny that Jesus is Lord, but in my life, I do not submit to his authority. Oh, it's like that rich young man in Matthew chapter 19. Many of you grew up knowing him as the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came to Jesus there in Matthew chapter 19. He asked him, what must a man do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says this to him, keep the commands. Why did Jesus start with keep the commands? Because that's where we always should start with the gospel, the law. Keep the commands. Because in telling a man to keep the commands, he realized very quickly he hasn't kept the commands. Any of you kept all of his decalogue here today? No, none of you have. And if you've broken one command, you've broken them all. So Jesus starts how we should always start in sharing the gospel, the law. He says, keep the commands. And of course, the rich man lies to himself and lies to Jesus. Of course, Jesus was not fooled by it. He says, I've kept all of them from my youth. And don't you know, there in that moment in the mind of Christ, he chuckled. <laughs> no, you haven't. You've kept none of them. And Jesus then gives him the ultimate test. He says this, okay, big boy, big shot. Go sell everything that you own, because Jesus knew he had great possessions. He said, go sell everything you own, and then come follow me. Sell everything that you own, and then submit to my lordship. Come follow me. And we know this, that the rich young man went away lost because he valued his possessions over Christ. He would not submit to the biblical authority of Jesus as Lord. Now, now, everyone would ask this question at this place, is Jesus promoting salvation by works? Absolutely, positively not. That would contradict all of the New Testament Scriptures. Jesus is confirming salvation that does work. Just as he preached all throughout his earthly ministry, just as the apostles preached throughout theirs. He's preaching salvation that submits to Christ as Lord and Master. And how do we know if we're submitting to Christ as Lord and Master? Jesus made this easy, and I'm thankful because he made it easy, I believe, for me. So that I can understand it. In fact, in John's gospel, in the, in the 14th chapter, he says it this plainly. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Can we just flip that in today's church culture? If you don't obey Jesus, you don't love him. And you don't love the authority that he is. 
that these people, these partial atheists, they refuse and deny God's biblical authority. They want a Savior. They don't want a Lord. They want eternal life, but refuse to surrender and submit to the Lord who grants eternal life. They totally ignore the words of Christ in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He says this, Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's an imperative in the Greek language. He is giving them a command. That's why we have the term in English. He must. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words. The partial atheist is ashamed of the biblical authority of Jesus Christ. Not only that, the partial atheist refuses to embrace the God of Scripture, denying God's biblical authority, but secondly, denying God's biblical attributes. Please pay attention to this. What the partial atheist wants to do, he wants to do this. He wants to unassign and reassign various attributes and virtues to God. Uh, He removes God's supernatural characteristics, those things that can't be explained by the depraved human mind, and he replaces them with humanistic and human characteristics, making God but a mere man. Isn't that what the partial atheist is constantly doing? He forgets what the Scriptures truly say. In fact, Isaiah 55, verse 8, it says this about our God, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, the partial atheist won't accept that. So what the partial atheist does is he reassigns some of God's attributes. He forgets what Isaiah 46 verse 9 says about God, where it says, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God. And there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. What the partial atheist does is they make him into a completely different God than the God of the Bible. And they recraft him according to their sinful minds. They recraft him according to their own depravity. Charnock says this, he says, Were it possible to see a picture of God according to the fancies of men, it would be the most monstrous being, such a God that never was nor ever can be. Folks, I pray that you would listen to me this morning because we have fashioned fashioned so many gods from the standpoint of our carnal mind that we don't even know who the one true God of the Bible is, what He looks like, how He acts, how He reacts, His attributes, His characteristics, His virtues. We do not even know Him. It's all because of partial atheism. that changes Him into who the atheist wants Him to be. So He refused to embrace God, the God of Scripture, denying his biblical authority, denying his biblical attributes. But also, they deny God's biblical assertions. The things that God says. In fact, Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus asked this question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Because Jesus knew this, that the things that he had commanded, the things that he had taught, the wisdom that he had released, into the crowds was falling upon deaf ears. And some of them were making the claim that he was their Lord. And he says, why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? That's a description of the partial atheist. He denies God's biblical assertions, his declarations. 
He denies the things that God has declared. All throughout Scripture, we see that God sovereignly declares many, many things. And if God declares them, can I just help all of you? They're true. So when he declares that Christ is going to return for his bride, the church, guess what? We can go ahead and get ready for it. It's going to happen. Will it happen in your time? Will it happen in my time? No, it's going to happen in God's perfect time, at the exact set time in his plan. The partial atheist, he wants to ignore and deny his declarations. What about his instructions, the things that Jesus has actually taught us about life? Oh, how many of us would go back on life if we could? Start over and pay closer attention to the instructions Jesus has given us about life and godliness, what we are to do and how we are to behave, how we are to handle things and manage things as stewards in this life. Partial atheist, he denies the biblical assertion in the form of declarations, instructions, but also his commands. He denies the very commands of God. In fact, he finds no room in his life at all for these commands. It's happening in the church as we sit this morning. There are many professing believers who would say to you that the commands of God no longer apply. To that, I say to you, what in the world are you talking about? It is in Christ that we are finally able to obey the standard of God through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives us in us according to the Word of God. In fact, it was Christ who simplified things for us so that we could understand how we are to live. When he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, and this sums up the law and the prophets. What was he saying? My law hasn't gone anywhere. My law has been fulfilled. And now you have the capability as one of my children to live a holy life, a set-apart life, a sanctified life. How do you do this? How do you obey the Ten Commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You, you do that. You're not going to have any idols. You're not going to have any graven images. You're not going to have anything or anyone before God. You love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You're going to obey those first commands. Now, what about this? If you love your neighbor as yourself, and how many of you like when people steal something from you? Huh? When they try to murder you. Steal your wife from you. Or your husband. <laughs> My wife has no... <laughs> threat of that. <laughs> well, what about covet your things? Well, we look at the Word of God and we see that Jesus simplifies that so that we can understand that, you know what, in Christ, that's the law of Christ. In Christ, we can obey God. Oh, but many in the church or the so-called church are throwing those things out as if God didn't really ever reveal His standard. What about his insight and his wisdom? They ignore and deny the biblical assertions of Christ in the form of declarations and instructions, commands. What about his insight and his wisdom? Oh, Jesus gives us so much wisdom in the short time that he spent here on the earth. But isn't it true, isn't it crazy how we will consult everyone under the sun before we consult the all-wise, all-knowing Lord Jesus Christ? Partial atheist. He denies God's biblical assertions. He's just like Adam and Eve there in the garden. Oh, we can go back there, can't we? We can go back to the garden and we can see it all unfold, right? They've been given a command. You can eat of every tree in the garden. Just don't eat of the tree or the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that fruit. You can have everything else I've created. Cheers. Not that one. And then the serpent comes along. What does the serpent do? The one who is behind atheism in all forms what does he do? He comes along and he says this, did he really say that? Do you really believe that? This is crazy for you to even think that. Look how good this looks. Look how good this tastes. Look what power you will receive from this. And here we have partial atheism. Adam and Eve didn't deny the existence of God. They had walked with God and talked with God and fellowshiped with Him in the garden. They knew that He existed. But what did they do? Well, they believed in God. But they didn't believe God in what He said, that if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. 
the antinomian and the legalist are both partial atheists as well. Uh, what do you mean by that? Some of you are familiar with the term the antinomian and, and who that person is. is a person who we talked about earlier who he has no value in the commands of God. In fact, he's against those commands so that he can sin all that he wants to sin. He uses grace as a license to do whatever he wants to do. The legalist, on the other hand, is that person who he actually thinks that his own efforts or his own righteousness is going to somehow justify him before a holy God. Now, both of them are wrong. And both of them are partial atheists. Uh, what do I mean? Well, the antinomian uses grace as a license to sin, allowing him to ignore God's commands. He, as we've already said, ignores and denies God's biblical assertions. The legalist, he attempts to attain righteousness through works, totally ignoring God's instructions on justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And so you have the antinomian, you have the legalist. There's a third person, and that's the true believer. The believer who trusts not only in God's existence, but trusts in God and what he says. He not only believes God, he believes in God. And everything that is in God, he trusts in. There are only three types of people in the world. True believers, antinomians, and legalists. You have to really examine yourself today to see which one you are. Because two of them are partial atheists. One of them truly believes. So we move to the second thing as we look at this verse today. A person proves their partial atheism by refusing to embrace the God of Scripture. But secondly, a person proves their partial atheism by refusing to embrace God's sovereignty. Please, please pay close attention to this. Because these partial atheists have taken God from his sovereign position. And they've placed him in an impotent and powerless position that is dependent upon the will of sinful man. Any time that we reduce the sovereignty of God from something that the Bible says it is not, make it as we wish it were, we commit partial atheism. We're partial atheists. Charnock said this, he said, Man by nature would annihilate God and deify himself. The gospel glorifies God and annihilates man. What a statement. And man in his sinful nature has proven this statement true. By changing God into something that man wants God to be instead of who God truly is. And so we look at the sovereignty of God and how the partial atheist refuses to embrace God's sovereignty. Watch this. By denying God's sovereignty by definition. What do I mean by that? They literally take the word sovereign and they change its meaning. They dismantle it until God is no longer sovereign in their mind because sovereignty doesn't mean to them what it really means to God. Now, I can tell you this. You can go and you can open not just the Bible dictionary. You can go open a Webster's dictionary. And you can look up the word sovereign. And, and that word sovereign will lead you to the definition that will go something like this. One who is in complete control or complete or absolute rule over something. Now, there is no such thing as partial sovereignty. God is sovereign over all. He is absolutely sovereign. Though the partial atheist will deny this at every turn. And they'll do it, again, by redefining sovereignty. Oh, well, your definition, Kirk, is not what that word really means. You know, I learned about something very early on in English class, when we were learning to read, we were learning to break passages down that we were studying. And you know what I learned? A thing called context clues. Where the meaning of that word is found where you find that word in many examples. Now, we can go to the Word of God, and it doesn't take very long in the Word of God to find out that the biblical definition of sovereignty means that God is in absolute and complete control of everything. Yet, 
partial atheist is bent on constantly changing that meaning to fit their agenda or their so-called, in parentheses, theology, which is no theology at all. Any theology that reduces the sovereignty of God is manology. But yet we see it over and over again. The partial atheist refusing God's sovereignty by just simply denying his sovereignty by definition. We're going to change the definition so that we like what it says. He's a part-time sovereign. No such thing. He's sometimes sovereign. No, no such thing. He's kind of sovereign. There's no kind of sovereign. He is sovereign Lord over all. And if God is not sovereign over all, he's not sovereign at all. Call him what you really believe he is. He's your little pawn in your game so that you can have eternal life, but not listen to anything that he says. Because that would be your correct definition of what you think of God as a partial atheist. God's sovereignty by definition, they deny it. Not only that, their efforts to refuse to embrace God's sovereignty, they actually deny God's sovereignty in operation. How he works. How does he operate? Denying the very function of his sovereignty. If they can't change the definition, what they can do is they can change and attempt to change the extent of his sovereignty. They refuse to believe that God is eternally and in full, complete control of everything at all times, and he has never, ever lost control of all things at all times, and he never will ever lose control of all things at all times. That's God. That's Jehovah. That's who we see from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Yet the partial atheist, he denies God's sovereignty in operation. He forgets or just doesn't know in his ignorance. But Psalm 135 verse 6 says, here's what it says. I like this down. It's very important for you, those of you who want to really know the true definition of sovereignty by biblical definition. Watch this, verse 6. The Lord does whatever pleases him. In the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. Done. I don't have to have any other definition from that point in time. Oh, that clears it up for me. The heavens, yeah, the earth, yeah, the seas, and all their depths. You do a little bit of research, all you oceanographers here today, and see how deep the oceans are of this world. You know what he says? I do whatever I please in all of those areas. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, Daniel says this, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He, talking of God, does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? He's sovereign. In absolute, complete control of everything. You say, well, Kirk, I believe that. Well, why don't you live like you believe that? Because of partial atheism. But you tilt or you tweak the definition. Fit your thought needs from time to time. Spurgeon said this about the sovereignty of God. He said, No doctrine in the Word of God has more excited the hatred of mankind than the truth of the absolute sovereignty of God. Isn't it true? Oh, I can tell you this, church. Are you listening? Embrace the sovereignty of God and be prepared to lose friends. Embrace the full sovereignty of God and watch all of your partial atheistic friends disown you and hate you and mock you, and ridicule you. Why? Because you refuse to believe in a man-made God, but say that you're going to believe in the God of Scripture? He's sovereign in every area. He's sovereign by definition, though they want to change it. He's sovereign in operation. And try as they may to change it, they never will. They deny the function of his sovereignty. They also deny the extent of his sovereignty. Just, just how sovereign is he? I'll tell you how sovereign he is. Or better yet, I'll let the word of God tell you. Buckle your seatbelt. Psalm 103.19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Underline it in your Bible. All. Psalm 115.3, our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Underline, whatever He pleases. Ephesians 1, 
Verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Underline everything. Everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We're all in accordance with the purpose of his will. Job understood this after receiving a pretty in-depth lesson. You want to talk about a man who got a life lesson? He got many of them. But watch what Job says in Job 42. Job 42, too. It says this, I know that you can do all things. Underline it, all things. Watch this. No plan of yours can be thwarted. There is nothing, there is no one who can thwart or stop the plan of God. If he has sovereignly decreed something, it will happen. That's the God we serve. There's great peace and there's great comfort in that, knowing that he's not some weak, impotent, man-made God. But he is the one true living God of Scripture. Partial atheists refuse. They refuse to embrace God's sovereignty, his sovereignty by definition, his sovereignty in operation. But thirdly, and here's where folks get mad at me, God's sovereignty in salvation. Why would God be sovereign over everything under the sun as he has declared and yet not be sovereign over the salvation of the sinner? The partial atheist will not believe this doctrine. They simply deny who actually does the saving so that they can in their humanistic thought process Make it make sense. Here's how they do this. They say, well, surely God wants me to make the first move. And then he sees my first move, and then he makes a move because of me. Now, let me tell you how ridiculous that is in light of the Scriptures. God is not weak and impotent, standing by, hoping that some mere man who does not have the capacity nor the, the ability to choose him would somehow just choose him from some miracle that came out of the air. But it's God who is sovereign over salvation. Many want to take that away from him. Many want to strip him of his rightful glory. And I say this today from the top of my lungs. It should never be so. You should bow if you were a Christian here today. You should bow not in the fact that you made a decision or you walked an aisle. You should bow at the fact that God saved you when you were at your lowest point by His own decree. And it was a sovereign decree before the foundations of the earth. He's sovereign in salvation. But yet the partial atheists constantly denying how this salvation is accomplished, reducing it to a mere response to God. A mere response that causes God to act as if God were obligated to us. Can I tell you today, church, please listen to me. God is not obligated to you. And God is not obligated to me. God is sovereign over all things, even our salvation. The sooner that you realize that, the sooner you will fall on your face and you will thank Him for His grace and you will thank Him for His mercy because you will realize it is a gift that you could have never, ever caused Him to be obligated to give to you. You were dead in your sin and dead in your transgressions. Oh, but the partial atheist, constantly, trying to act as if God is obligated to do something because we first did something. The problem with that is this. As I've already said, God's not obligated to do anything. If you're saved today, it was because He sovereignly chose to by His grace. And that is it. And may we let it be all of grace and stop trying to strip God of His glory. Did you know Scripture says he will not share his glory with another? None. You say, well, pastor, I believe that we have to do our part. What's the percentage? What's well, a small percentage? Okay, what is it? Well, maybe I do 20% and God does 80%. You stole 20% of God's glory. Thank you, glory thief. Well, maybe it's just 1%. And God did 99% of the saving. You stole him 1% of his glory. 
And 1% of his glory is something that we can't even contain in our human mind. And you stole it from him. Oh, he'll share his glory with none. No one. Well, I mean, I have to surely do something. You've already done it. You've sinned. And you're in need of redemption. It is only by his grace through his sovereign hand that that redemption comes to any sinner. Stop being a partial atheist in regard to this. Oh, I know what many will say. Well, Kirk, this sounds like Calvinism. No, it doesn't. It sounds like true biblical doctrine. It sounds like what the Word of God teaches from cover to cover. That God is obligated to no one. He owes no one a single thing. That salvation has always been a gift of His grace, a sole act of God without the aid or the effort of man in any way, shape, or form. He sovereignly saves sinners by his grace. Don't believe me? Go to a familiar passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. I won't even read you 8 and 9, though it's good too. Read it all. Go read one while you're at it. But he says this in verse 4, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Who Who made who alive? He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Wait, I thought you moved toward him. I've been to lots of funerals. Dead men don't move. He said he made you alive with Christ even when you were dead in transgression. And then he reminds you of this. Look what he does. He gives you an illustration. Then he gives you a fact. Watch the fact. It is by grace you have been saved. And his grace, just like every single other attribute that God possesses, is sovereign. It's sovereign. Oh, but the partial atheist wants to deny that. To not embrace the sovereignty of God. Proving that they won't believe in a God who they can't control. Isn't that really what it boils down to? I'm so thankful that my God is a God that I can't control. But yet controls me. Who is my master? Who is my shepherd? Who is my leader? Who is my guide? A person proves their partial atheism by refusing to embrace God's sovereignty. Lastly, oh, the words that are music to your ears, right? Lastly. Lastly, a person proves their partial atheism by refusing to embrace God's salvation. They refuse to embrace uh, the God of the Scriptures. They refuse to embrace God's sovereignty. And lastly, they refuse to embrace God's salvation. What do you mean by that? They've taken the narrow road of Christ that leads to eternal life, and they have replaced it with the broad road that leads to eternal life. (laughs) But we know this, don't we? Don't we really know that the broad road doesn't lead to eternal life? It's only the narrow road. Because Christ himself said that. But isn't it the way of the partial secret atheists to introduce destructive heresies like that? That that all roads, really, at the end of the day, be they narrow or be they broad, all roads somehow ultimately are going to lead to God. Let me just tell you this. Wrong answer. They are not. The partial atheist is constantly refusing to embrace God's salvation, that Jesus is the only way to eternal life and forgiveness of sin. And so what they do, impartial atheist refuses God's salvation by denying three things. Watch this, the exclusivity of Christ. They won't embrace the exclusivity of Christ, meaning this, that Christ is the only way. That faith in Christ is the only way people can be saved. That the Scriptures don't really say that there is no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. They, they forget about that or they erase that. They try to do it on their own way. In fact, they'll even help other people do it. Oh, he's just trying to get there on his own, his own way. Everything's going to work out in the end. No, in the end, you're going to spend an eternity in hell. Because you did not hear the narrow message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You did not adhere to the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You tried to do it on your own because you were plagued with partial atheism. Those partial atheists, they claim to believe in God. They deny it because they do not trust in Christ and Christ alone. He is the only way for a sinner to be saved. And that only those who trust in Christ 
will be saved. I know I'm using only a lot. I'm using the word exclusive a lot. They're going to say this about me. He's narrow-minded. Yes, I am. Narrow-minded, very narrow-minded when it comes to the gospel. Because my master was narrow-minded when it came to his gospel. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. We must embrace the exclusivity of Christ and Christ alone. Partial atheist refuses. They're like those in Jude, verse 4, where it says, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality. Watch this. And deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. What a description. He describes the antinomian who uses grace as a license to sin commit some types of immorality. He confirms people who deny Christ as the only sovereign and Lord. Oh, how much of this message has been contained right there in that one verse describing for us those who truly don't believe, the partial atheists who refuse the exclusivity of Christ. They refuse to believe what 1 John 2, 2, 2.22 says. 1 John 2.22 says this, Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. Isn't it interesting when you go to share the gospel with people, you ask them about their viewpoints on God and their viewpoints on Jesus Christ somewhere in that conversation, and what do they say? Well, I believe in God, but I'm not into the whole Jesus thing. No, did you miss that, sir? That if you don't trust in Christ, if you deny the Son, you don't have the Father either. It's a package deal. But yet so often, isn't that the answer that we get? Well, the partial atheists of this world are content with just saying, oh, I believe in God. You know what that'll get you? The fate of the demons. They believe in God as well. And they tremble, as James says. And so we think about this. Are you a partial atheist? In regard to God's salvation, are you thinking or teaching that there isn't any other way other than Christ? There isn't. So they deny the exclusivity of Christ. I'll move quickly, I hope. They also, secondly, deny the essentialness of repentance. Well, this is the only time in church history that you can even read about where the gospel does not include repentance. Oh, it'll include the ABCs of this and the ABCs of that, but it didn't include an R ever. Repentance. Repentance is essential. And what the partial atheist likes to do, they like to erase repentance and deny that it is a must. Never repenting in their heart, therefore never repenting in their deeds. Because repentance starts first in your heart. And your deeds follow these partial atheists refuse to believe in a God and in a gospel that includes this repentance. They refuse the true gospel of Jesus Christ as defined by Scripture. Let's look at Acts chapter 17, verse 30. It says this, In the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people to repent. There's that word. For He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. What were the apostles preaching there? They were preaching a gospel of repentance. You can't still be holding on to your own life of partial atheism and sin and claim that you know Christ. Turn from your unbelief and turn to Christ today. For it is a gospel of repentance. Many prove their partial atheism by refusing to repent or to preach repentance. Today, the pulpits across this country are full of partial atheists who are afraid to use the word repent. Let me just do this for all of you. Repent or you will perish. You say, well, man, who do you think you are? I'm just quoting the words of Christ. And isn't that what a true preacher of the gospel will do? Quote the words of Christ and let them fall on the wicked hearts of man that he would then turn their hearts to him, exchanging that heart of stone for a heart of flesh. Repent. It's the gospel message. Yet, the partial atheist, he says that it's not essential. 
Oh, you can have your old life. You can have your sin. You can have the indulgences of the flesh. And you can still have Jesus too. Well, can I show you what the Scriptures do say about repentance? Jesus preached it. You don't think Jesus preached repentance? I know Jesus preached just love and unicorns and sparkle, sparklers and flowers. Now, you want to see what Jesus preached? Jesus preached this, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, his first documented sermon. It says this, verse 17, From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Oh, you want to learn about preaching? Learn from the greatest preacher who ever walked the earth. Jesus began to preach. What did Jesus preach? Because when I preach, I want to preach like Jesus. What did Jesus preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. First sermon Jesus ever preached. That that was it. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He said, judgment's coming. Oh, he's just like the evangelist there in the Pilgrim's Progress who, who went to Christian and said, flee the city of destruction and run to the celestial city. There will be no hope here. Flee. We preach repentance. You say, well, that's just one verse. Jesus preached a lot of other things. Yeah, repentance. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The first sermon that, that Mark documents Jesus preaching. What is it? Repent and believe the good news. Now, Jesus preached the good news. Right? That's the gospel, the euangelion. Now watch this. When Jesus preached the good news, you know what it said that he preached when he preached the good news? Repent. Why? Because it is in repentance that we are turned. We turn from our sin and we turn from our unbelief through the power of God and we turn to Christ. Repentance is evidence that God is truly working in your life, bringing you out of darkness and into light. Why would he bring you out of darkness into darkness? It's not even what Scripture says. He brings you out of darkness into light. Repentance was preached by Jesus. Luke 5.32 I'm not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Luke 13.3 I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish, all of you. Luke 24.45 Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scripture. I'm so thankful that he opens our mind that we can understand the Scriptures. Watch this. He told them. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You know what's crazy? The partial atheist wants forgiveness of sin. But he will not embrace repentance. She will not embrace repentance. She or he is still holding on to their own life right now as I preach here this very morning to you. You remain in a state of partial atheism, refusing to repent, turn to Christ. Jesus preached repentance. Oh, he was joined by good company. The apostles preached repentance. Mark chapter 6, verse 12. Mark 6, 12, watch this. They went out, first time they were sent out, and preached that people should say it with me, church, repent. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replied, repent. Here he is, his first sermon ever. Here it is. What does he say? Repent and be baptized. What, what is he talking about? What is baptism? Why, why would you repent and be baptized? There are many people say that baptism saves you. No, it doesn't. Christ saves you. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Marked by repentance and baptism is a mark of obedience. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, the, of, of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who's going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? The true believers. Who are the true believers? Those who repent. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You want forgiveness of sin? You can't have it without repentance. Yet the partial atheist refuses to embrace God's salvation because he refuses to embrace the essentialness of repentance. He must repent. Apostle Paul preached it, Acts chapter 20, verse 21. Acts chapter 26, verse 20. You can look at it when you have time. But he declared both to the Jews and the Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith and repentance working hand in hand, the opposite sides of the same coin. 
You can't have faith if you don't have repentance, and you can't have repentance if you don't have faith, and they are both a work that is wrought by the grace of a sovereign God. It was an interesting how it all works together when you read the entirety of Scripture. Last, and I'm done. Maybe. Refusing to embrace God's salvation is the mark of the partial atheist denying the exclusivity of Christ, the essentialness of repentance, and the eternal consequence of unbelief. This will be a fast one. There's no need to speak on this much. What the partial atheist does, they remove, remove future judgment for the unbelievers, making God merely a God who makes empty threats concerning his judgment, concerning his wrath. And God just does this just to scare you so you'll do right. But he never follows through with what he says. Let's just turn to the Word of God and let's ask Sodom and Gomorrah if that's true. Let's ask Sodom and Gomorrah, is that true? Does God not follow through with what he says? Well, you can go there now and it's a heap of rubble. It has been a heap of rubble since the time that God exercised his judgment and his wrath upon their iniquity. Oh, he means what he says and he says what he means. He backs down from no one. And in his perfect timing, there is a judgment that awaits all unredeemed, unrepentant sinners. Perhaps we should ask Sodom and Gomorrah if this is true, or maybe we could call the witnesses of Noah's great deluge. You know, when the, when the earth was flooded and only one family was saved in the entire world, and God did just as he said he was going to do. He destroyed the earth by water. But before he did, those who he graciously saved, remember who it was, who led them to the ark, who put them in the ark, who sealed the door behind them. It was God and his grace and his mercy and his sovereign hand saving those who he desired to save. And the rest perished. They perished in their sin. They perished in their unbelief for many years. I'm sure that they watched the crazy man Noah building a boat out in the middle of the desert. What a fool he is. Oh, but Scripture says differently, doesn't it? Scripture says that the one who is a fool, he's the one who says in his heart that there is no God. And he doesn't believe and trust in God's will for his life. Oh, how the partial atheist wants to erase the eternal consequences of unbelief, erasing the reality of hell in their mind that awaits them. What a horrible day that is going to be. And the one who has erased the reality of hell is faced with it for all eternity. That's what awaits the partial atheist who will not submit to a holy God. Reducing God to just some unholy being who embraces the sin of mankind. It has no right to have holy indignation and wrath toward their sin. That's the thinking of the partial atheist. Who does God think that he is? I'll tell you who he is because I know that you're here. I know that there is a partial atheist, an unbeliever, who maybe for some time you've posed as a believer and you realize today that you're not truly saved. I believe you're here this morning. Would you please listen to me as we prepare our hearts to close? God has every right to exercise his indignation and his wrath and his holy judgment upon you. You are not to question that. I would encourage you today to flee from his wrath and run to the feet of his only begotten son who suffered and who died on a cross to save wretched sinners of which I am the worst. Run to him today. He is the only one and he is the only way for sinners to be reconciled to a holy God. Refuse that, and hell awaits you, my friend. There is nothing you can do to erase it. Try as the partial atheist may. He cannot erase the things from God's word that are true. There is nothing that he can do to change them. Partial atheism, as we have seen, is alive and well it has unfortunately infiltrated the church and even some of your hearts today. Can I agree with Stephen Charnock in saying this? 
that it would be better for you to deny the complete existence of God and for you to turn him into something or someone that he is not only by your wicked imagination. Would you today surrender to the one true God, to his only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and would you be saved and forgiven of all of your sins today? Perhaps you are a partial atheist, refusing to embrace the God of Scripture, refusing to embrace God's sovereignty, refusing to embrace God's salvation. Would you see his grace and allowing you to remain on this earth for such a time as this, so that you can hear the truth of the Word of God today and your heart could be turned to Him. May you turn to Him in repentance and faith. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that every letter of it is true. God, I pray today as it has gone forth, and I pray that we not be concerned with the time, that we not be concerned with our thought human needs in this moment, God, that we would all pray for those who you are turning their hearts to Christ today. Lord, we ask that you would save the lost sinner. You would grant to them eternal life through Jesus Christ as they surrender to him as Lord, repenting of unbelief and sin today. Lord, I pray for the Christian who's here today, who's not trusting you like they should. Convict their heart. Bring them to their knees. Break them that they may be lifted up in due time, as vessels for your glory. We give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website, at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness.